So you've been with us on Wednesday nights the past several months. You know we've been talking about the character of God. And aren't you glad He's all-powerful? Yes. And aren't you glad He's all-knowing? Yes. Amen. Aren't you glad He's everywhere present? Yes. Aren't you glad He's present in your heart tonight? Yes. Amen. He lives and abides there. Glory to God. And we have focused specifically on some of the attributes of God in more detail. We've learned that God is merciful. Aren't you glad for that? Anybody here ever needs some mercy? We talked about how God is wise, and you can tap into that wisdom, according to James, just by asking Him. And the Bible promises that He'll give it to you. Amen? If you haven't figured that out yet, you can pray in the Holy Ghost, ask Him to give you the download, and He'll give it to you. Yes, you can. We've also learned that God is just. Aren't you glad? And that God's justice is very different from man's concept of justice. Uh, there's social justice and there's spiritual justice. And once you get to spiritual justice, the rest of it will work itself out. Once you experience spiritual justice, no man can hold you back. No system, no nation, no people, no agenda can hold you back, glory to God. We also found out that God is loving. Do you feel like you're loved tonight? I said, do you feel like you're loved tonight? If you're not, just tell yourself, read what the Word of God says and remind yourself He loves you. Praise God. You also learn that He is faithful. He is consistent, isn't He, church? Um, his faithfulness is the issue. Glory to God. Moving right along, hallelujah. And we love to say and affirm the attribute that God is good. Don't let anybody ever tell you He is anything but good. Yes, amen. And then tonight, it's really going to come uh, home to you that uh, understanding His nature and His character is critical because of the way some people are veering off of the Word of God, trying to appease this culture and trying to intellectually make sense of the high standard and the high mark of God in terms of what He expects from His people. So tonight we're going to talk to you about the fact that God is holy. Say it when God is holy. And understanding there's power in that, and specifically how you and I can cultivate that day by day as life goes on. So it's important to understand specifically this dimension of his character because you'll hear people say all over the world today, and I mean even some major voices with very large platforms in arts, entertainment, and sports, and even in ministry, and they'll say that a loving God would never send anyone to hell. Now, we know he's a loving God. But what happens here is they elevate this attribute of love above the other attributes of God. And specifically, his attribute of justice. And specifically, his attribute of holiness. So what you have to do if you're going to understand the, the way things are going to be in the end times, and aren't you glad you're on the right side of this thing? I mean, you're in a good place tonight. Amen? Say, I'm in a good place because I'm in Christ. You have to take the attributes like His justice, like His love, and you have to, you have to balance those out with what He says about His holiness. Does that make sense? And so if you don't get this, you're not just making a, a, you know, a mistake that may cost you some benefit on this planet. I believe that God is a healer. I believe that God will take care of His people. But if you don't want natural healing or you don't want natural prosperity or material prosperity in this life, that's fine. That's not going to affect your eternity. But you make a mistake about the holiness of God, it can not only affect your eternity, but everybody you influence. 
And so we have voices out there saying there is no such thing as hell. The church made that up to put people in fear, make sure they come to church and pay their tithes and do their work, whatever the case may be. But I want you to know that something like 20 times Jesus compares you know, hell to something that's hot or eternal. In other words, the doctrine of hell itself comes not from man, not even from the apostles. It comes from the Lord himself. Now, other revelation comes from what the apostles said. So you make a mistake about whether you believe God will deliver you from drugs or whether, in fact, God will prosper you. That's not necessarily eternal. But you make a mistake on this. There is no going back on this. So it's critical you understand the nature of God enough to be able to articulate to everybody. Say, when somebody says, well, a loving God would never send somebody to hell, that's not the issue. The issue is that he's also a holy God. And expects his people to be holy. And nobody that is not holy is not getting in. You don't have to get all quiet. You're still saved, amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I say you weren't going. Do I, do I need to change this message tonight? <laughs> okay. <laughs> he is holy. And he is perfect. And set apart in every way. And his name is holy and set apart and perfect. So much so that you'll find even today Orthodox Jews that won't even try to say his name. Why? Because they don't want to misuse his name. Now God did not say in the Decalogue in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not say my name. He said, don't take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Do not use it in a profane or unholy Manner. It should be always used in a worshipful manner, in a reverential manner, in a, in a manner that inspires awe and wonder in terms of our God and who he is. That's why saying Jesus Christ as some kind of a slang term is inappropriate. And that's why it's important for us to say that, that God will actually damn things. He's not the damner. He is the deliverer in Jesus' name. But all those different variations of taking his name in vain. And by the way, it's also taking his name in vain when you ascribe his name to something he doesn't do. You see this? So he's perfect, completely holy. Holy means to be separate or set apart. With God, we're talking about his absolute purity, completely unstained by sin and evil. Listen to that. Completely unstained by sin. Or evil. That means that Jesus is completely unstained by sin and evil. Currently, everybody in heaven is completely unstained by sin and evil. Are you seeing this tonight? God is the only one who's perfect in every way and perfect all the time. He's one who's completely perfect, completely righteous, completely good, and completely set apart from sin. That's why when you see in Revelation, scriptures like uh, Revelation 4.8, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Shout that out. Holy, 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 holy is the Lord, is the Lord Almighty. Almighty. Go to Isaiah for a moment in chapter 6. Let's look at this. While you turn there, shout out again. My God is holy. Isaiah 6, look at verse 1. In the, king that, uh, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, 
Oftentimes you'll hear preachers say, well, in the king, in the year that King Uzziah died, that somehow Isaiah couldn't have a vision because he idolized King Uzziah. Uh, that's not the point. This is a, this is a date marker so you will know when this man of God had this vision. That's the only reason that's actually in there. And it, it dates the thing. It tells us in what particular period of time he had this vision. And he saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his what? Aren't you glad that that prophecy comes to pass? Now, what's he seeing? He is having an open vision of heaven itself. And notice what it says, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now, how many of y'all believe that uh, faith is important? Yes. How many believe that hope is important? Yes. How many believe that love is important? Yes. As far as our expression of it, our understanding of the Scriptures, the greatest of these is love. love. But nowhere in Scripture will you find somebody say, say hope, 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 nope. or love, 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 mm -hmm. or mercy, mercy, mercy. Mm -hmm. But it is emphasized in Scripture the holiness of God. What does that tell you? It tells you it's a big deal. Turn to somebody and smile and say, holiness is a big deal. And we're not talking about how long your skirts are, how long your sleeves are. We're not talking about how, how you pie your hair. We're not talking about makeup or not makeup. We're talking about a heart that is transformed. That what is indicated by that transformation is a life and behavior and conduct and attitude. The things you think and the words that you say line up with that transformation of the heart. So he says, holy, holy, holy. That's quite outstanding. I want you to see this in, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, if you want to turn over there, so you'll understand how this plays with, with God's interaction with people. Say, so he is holy. When you found 2 Samuel, say, I found it. found it. And if you haven't found it, there's always a thing called the table of contents. Don't ever be embarrassed to use the table of contents. If you're there, say, I am there. Now, people read this sometimes and they have the same reaction. How could God respond this way in this story? Just like how could God send somebody to hell? Well, we'll talk about that tonight. In Second uh, Samuel chapter 6, verse 1, David again brought together out of Israel chosen men, 30,000 in all. He and all his men set out from Baal of Judah to bring up the, from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim. What did we just say about the name? Uh, in, in Scripture, in covenantal teaching, a place for His name is a place for His presence. You can't separate them. Um, if you're defiling His name, you're defiling His presence. If you're defiling His presence, you're defiling His name. Are you still with me tonight? They set the ark of God on a new cart. <laughs> How many of you know in this building tonight that's not the prescribed way to move? The Ark of the Covenant. So they have good intentions here, but they're putting this thing on a cart. What's interesting is I think because it's a new cart, everything's going to be okay. 
No, it's still disobedience, isn't it? And they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Benadab, which was on the hill. Us and Ohio, sons of Benadab, were guiding the new cart and the ark of God on it, and Ohio was walking in front of it. David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord. Songs, harps, lyres, tambourines, systems, and cymbals. They got a new cart, and they're praising their hearts out. Amen. Think, think that everything would be just perfect here. You know that church can be noisy and completely out to lunch? Have every good program and still not have a clue spiritually? Okay. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Ezra reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. And Lord's anger burned against Ezra because of his irreverent act. What kind of act? And therefore God struck him down and died before uh, beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Ezra. And to this day that place is called Perez Ezra. Well, that's not how God prescribed the holy thing of God be moved. Uh, two poles, right? Carried very, very carefully. No animals involved. No new card or old card involved, but with great reverence and great honor. Now, they got the praise and worship part right. They, they have honor for this, and yet at the same time, they're doing something outside the bounds of what? Of His holiness. Think of it this way. And grabbing a hold of that uh, ark would be like you grabbing a hold of a power line and just got down. Uh, and that power line does not have to say it to you and me, you know what? I think I'll zap that person. Yeah, that's right. Does that make sense? Uh, and it's funny what they'll, they'll tell you to do, that if you happen to be there, be real careful what you're doing, that you don't ground yourself in the process. Well, if you do that, you're, we're probably going to have an obituary and a funeral service for you. Amen. And imagine the force of a down power line maybe in the county where those power lines come out of TVA. Now multiply that times a billion. And you get the idea of the force and the power you're dealing with. And even that won't describe how powerful he is. Now David all of a sudden is afraid to bring the, car, the, the, uh, the ark the rest of the way. And um, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed, Edom the Gittite, for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. It doesn't take long for you and me to be blessed if we'll do things the right way. In other words, treat God as holy and honor him as holy. Well, you know the rest of this story. Uh, David, who was afraid, all of a sudden got unafraid when he saw the blessing. <laughs> but this time when they bring it in, what are they doing? The prescribed way. You and I need to learn, not by trial and error, but the prescribed way to handle the holy things of God. The scripture tells us that we are to be holy because He is holy. It's not God is holy and the rest of us will just squeak through and squeak by. No, it's God is holy, so you should what? Be holy in all that you do, in your meditation, in your words, in your behavior, the whole nine yards. So let's move on with that in mind. Treating God as common versus holy can get you the backhand of that blessing of that anointing. I understand that. I don't know about you, but I want the front side. Does that make sense? Now, here's what you have today. You have, uh, you have secularists and you have nominal Christians and you have compromised churches and denominations and you have people that are mudding the water. You have people that even came out of like precious faith like you and me preaching today there is no help. 
I want you to write this phrase down, okay? <laughs> Eternal spiritual manslaughter. That's what we're doing if we preach or influence others to believe there is no hell. There is no expectation of holiness. And watch this, it's eternal. And I can tell you this, we know from James, you know, chapter 3, that be not many of your teachers, knowing as such you will receive what? The greater judgment, right? You're held accountable. Um, there are certain things that there's just no coming back from. When we were uh, in Hopkinsville, everybody say God bless Hopkinsville. We did an illustrated sermon, and the message was basically, part of that message was, this pastor, by not teaching the truth, not just led himself to hell, but the entire congregation. So in that scene, what's happening is the people are chasing the pastor around hell, beating him to a pulp. Uh, one of our ladies got into it too much and started beating the 70-something-year-old man a little bit too hard. But you get the idea, he was playing the pastor, and they're really letting him have it. Now, all I can tell you is this. If you're turning your ear towards people that are telling you that holiness doesn't matter, that a loving God would never send anyone to hell, understand this, you're starting to be influenced in the wrong direction. And you can even be jeopardized yourself, but just basically by not being a person of conviction, you could you know, potentially help somebody get there, and there's no coming back from it. Come on, say it with me. Hell is real. Holiness is expected. And it's our job to hold the line to what the Word of God actually teaches. Um, you know, one of the purveyors of this recently I went home to be with Jesus, and I love the man of God. I received from his ministry for years and years. He woke up one day and said that God told him that everybody's saved because of what Jesus did on the cross. No need to repent, no need to give your life to Christ. And he went from having a church of about 15,000 down to about 200, something like that. And uh, his own spiritual father came to him over Roberts and said, you know what, you're headed into error here. This is not what the, God, what the Bible teaches. And I tell you, it pays to keep listening to your spiritual fathers even when you think you're a big to-do. Can I have a better amen than that? Amen. Continue to listen to the people that God has placed in your life. It is not about control, contrary to what some crackpots think. It's about protection. And if he had just listened to what his father said, a lot of things could have, been, could have been avoided. Now, thank God most people didn't sit under that nonsense. But you know, some people were influenced by it. And that voice keeps growing and growing and growing. Yeah, hell's a terrible place. That's why a loving, holy God sent his own son so you wouldn't have to go there. That's how serious this is. That's how serious God took it. How dare we diminish what he did by saying it doesn't exist? Or you don't have to embrace his son to go through those gates. Well, you do. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to turn there. If not, for sure, write this down. Say, he is holy and he expects me to be holy. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as He who called you is holy, so be holy and all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. 
Turn to somebody and tell them, be holy, because he is holy. Not only is this the character of God, he expects this to be your character. Whatever attribute we've talked about from his goodness and his mercy and his justice, God expects you and me to be the same way. And aren't you glad that you're moving forward? Now, you may not be perfect tonight, but you can have a perfect heart. But you will never have a perfect heart with perverted doctrine. You must have this square in your understanding what this is all about. We get our, our, our cue from who he is, and he is holy. Are you here? Yes. What does First Peter mean then? It means that we have a choice. Yes. Plain and simple. You being holy is a choice. And I recommend you don't worry about 10 weeks from now, or five years from now, or even next week. How about we all be holy at least while this service is going on? So if you're scrolling right now, something you shouldn't be scrolling on, stop it. <laughs> Focus on God. You say it's, it's impossible to be holy. How can we possibly be holy? Well, first of all, we've been given supernatural abilities and supernatural you know, giftings from God to do that. But here, understand this. God never gives us a command in Scripture without the power to keep that command. <coughs> ever. That would be unjust to command you to be a certain way and then not give you the power to do it. But it starts with a choice. Say, it's my decision to be holy. Nobody can make you holy, listen, and nobody can keep you from being holy if you are set on being like he is. So let's talk about how we actually can, can walk this out in a, in a practical way. Say it with me. Holiness describes God. Say it, holiness, holiness describes me. Describes me. Raise your hand if you ever blew it. Anybody here ever say anything, do anything that was directly opposite what you knew to be? Holiness. Aren't you glad you still have an advocate with the Father? Amen. This was born out of a relationship. But you know, when you're out there in the world and you rejected Jesus, guess what? There's no covering for you, that person. I want to say it again. It is a big deal to accept the Lord. It's a big deal to reject Him. Write this down. How can you be holy? Number one, first of all, with a new birth. Amen. You must be born again. Not just for Nicodemus, not for some other group. Let them make fun of evangelicals and say, well, you're that born again group. Go ahead and laugh. That's what Jesus said you had to be. You must experience the new birth. Now write this down. You cannot be holy unless you're born again. Period. What about the group over here? What about the Jews over here? What about these people who, who don't do anything wrong over here? You can't be holy based on God's standards without the new birth. The Bible has great promises for Israel in these last days. And I say these last days because we're in them. <laughs> Look at somebody and say, we're in there. We are there. We're there. Amen. But the bottom line is, and if anybody tells you or implies something different than this, they need to make sure they understand the Bible because there's not one way of salvation for the Jew and another for the rest of us. It's Christ for all. There's only one name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And incidentally, Abraham didn't get saved because he was a Jew. Abraham got saved by faith. 
telegraphing how all of us will get saved. And what? Now, he had faith in the coming seed. You and I have faith in the one that came and who's coming again. You see this? Now, we have a whole lot more revelation of that person than he did. But the revelation he did have, amen, he operated in a thing called faith. And Romans 4 tells us that we're to follow in the footsteps of our father Abraham, which is, of course, a function of faith. This is an incredibly hard saying, but it should motivate you and me to care about people's souls and where they're going. Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. You can't be holy unless you're born again. So what should we be doing in these last days? More than we've ever done before to get people into the kingdom of God. Say it. They must be born again. It's that blood that makes them holy. Aren't you glad that when he dealt with you, you repented and gave your life to him? Aren't you glad that your sins atoned for? Aren't you glad your record is expunged? When God looks at you, he looks at somebody who's been made holy by that blood. Now, you and I have to cooperate with his, uh, his, you know, power and with his goodness in the situation. But that's how it all begins. It all starts for every single person. Um, you're not going to find anyone in heaven who's not born again. I mean, you can teach, do this and do good and do service, you know, be benevolent, kind to people, you know, whatever. But unless they're born again. And I'm telling you that don't be so quick when somebody dies to say they went to a better place. You could be a liar, liar, pants on fire. They've gone to a better place if they're born again. You know, the modern church kind of needs to be shaken a little bit. We've kind of lulled the sleep and say, well, just people die, they just go to heaven. They, they went to be with the Lord. We don't know that. Oftentimes people won't have that testimony. And there we are saying they went to a better place. Watch this. They could have gone to a whole lot worse place than earth. And contrary to popular belief, this is not hell. <laughs> this is earth. Don't make the mistake. It's part of his kingdom. This is not hell. Heaven is his throne. Earth is his footstool. You're not dealing with hell here. Life can be tough, you know, tough and difficult, but it is not hell. Glory to God. I had a friend when I was in uh, you know, college. I also at the same time was a swim coach. And um, her son was on my team. He's about eight, eight, nine years old at the time. And Lord impressed me one day after a practice to take him over to Dairy Queen. You know, Dairy Queen, the place where all evangelism is really good. Amen. <laughs> if they don't accept Christ, at least you had some ice cream. Praise the Lord. So, <laughs> and so we're just sitting on the picnic table. And I'm just telling him about the things of God. He never heard the story. He never had a, a real witness of it. And that young man gave his life to the Lord that day, sitting on that picnic table at Dairy Queen. But his mom had a, had a big time problem with, with controlled substances. And uh, later on, after I came back here to pastor, I got a, a call one day that the man she was living with had OD'd and died. And the expectation is that I was going to sit there at the graveside and preach this man into heaven. Well, most of you know me better than I'm not going to preach somebody into heaven. I can tell everybody the plan of salvation so they can go to heaven. But I can't say, hey, this person's going to heaven just because somebody asked me to preach them into heaven. We can't preach people into heaven. They must be 
born again. That's the last time she ever spoke to me. And that's exactly my attitude. Now, praise the Lord. But we, we cannot go around under the pressure of the culture bending on something that actually is not helping the culture. It's hurting them. You're hurting the culture by agreeing with them. There is a hell, and we should shun it. And there's a heaven to gain, and we should pursue it. But we must be born again. Now, see your hands if you're born again tonight? Aren't you glad? Let me tell you something. You should celebrate that fact every day of your life. You should never get tired of thanking God for what He's done in your life. It's a big deal to be right with God. It's a big deal to be in His family. Amen? You're blessed. You're adopted. Amen? You've been redeemed from the curse. You're a big deal. In His eyes, glory to God. Make any difference if people think you're a big deal or not. In His eyes, you are. You're worth coming for and dying for. Amen? And you, you responded to the prompting of the Spirit of God and the cry of your heart, amen, for redemption. Number two, how can you be holy? With righteousness. Fortunately for you and for me, it's a gift. <laughs> Aren't you glad he took your sin and gave you his righteousness? Do you believe that today? He made you righteous. Does that make sense? And when he makes something, then that's what you are. Now, that is not just some position one day in heaven, as some people teach. It's your position now. The day you got born again, he gave you his righteousness. So when the Father looks at you, he doesn't see sinner saved by grace. He sees saint. You've been made righteous. Said, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And that'll transform your life if you ever, if you've not had that revelation the day you get it. Now watch this. Before righteousness, everything was pushing you to sin. You could try your best. I'm not going to sin today. And guess what you'll do? You get up in the morning and you're not born again today. I'm going to not cuss. And by nine o'clock, you cuss. Amen. <laughs> And you did all kinds of things. I'm not going to get angry and tear things up and ruin people's lives. But when you do that, you can say that all you want to, but you've got this force of sin that's been driving you all of your life. And some of you have a master's degree in sin. Some of y'all have PhD in sinology. It pushed you. I mean, you could resist all you wanted to, but then you found yourself still doing things you didn't want to do saying things you didn't want to say, compromising in areas that you wish you wouldn't compromise, partaking of things that were destroying you. But then that day came and the light came on. And Jesus came into your life. He took your sin and gave you his righteousness. Now write this down. Righteousness is not a platitude. It is a force. It's a force. Say it is a force of the born again spirit. Didn't I just tell you you got to be born again? Why? Because if you're not born again, you can't have the force of righteousness. Now, everything inside of you is pushing you to holiness, not to sin. So when a Christian says, I sinned, I just couldn't help it, hogwash. If you're born again, you have the force of righteousness and it's pushing you Pushing you to think right, talk right, act right all the days of your life. Just one catch. You have to cooperate with it. 
You have to yield to that force of righteousness. So what does that mean, Pastor? It means that every born... Let me t- I'm going to talk to the born again people. Raise your hand again. You're born again. You know you're born again. Okay, I'm in the right crowd tonight. If you sin tomorrow, it's because you chose to. Nothing forced you to. Now watch this. This is what we're talking about. You now have that force of righteousness in you, pushing you to think right, do right, talk right, act right, choose right, choose God's will. It's there every single day. And you say, well, maybe maybe one day when the righteousness of God really builds up in my it's already there. It's not going to get more powerful than it already is. So don't try to play that little game. Well, it's just uh, the righteousness is powerful in you. The force is strong with you, Pastor. No. The force of righteousness is strong in every born-again person. It's just take out all the compromising props, amen. Say the force of righteousness. Pushing you to do right. So what you have to do to sin is push back and go ahead and decide to sin anyway. Amen. So how does holiness play in this? Uh, To... To, to God and everybody on the other side, they're already in a place of mastery. They're not still in the flesh. Amen. They are not under the constraints of, of this world and its system. Um, don't, don't feel bad for people in heaven. They feel bad for you, but they can't feel bad. They're just feeling too good. So they don't feel bad at all for you. Some folks in this room need to hear that. They're doing just fine. It's real. All to celebrate Christmas in heaven. Amen. I bet that place is decked out. I mean, it seems to stay that way, the way it is. Gold streets, you know, and those gates and everything like that. But something tells me. Amen. So here's how this works. Every day, the force of righteousness is working on your behalf. Pushing you. (laughs) Pushing you to do right. Pushing you. All you have to do to grow in holiness is yield to that force. More and more each day. Are you here? Say that I'm born again. And I've been given the gift of righteousness. It's a force pushing me to do right. And how you can honestly say, even though you haven't arrived, you know that you are far cry from what you used to be. Turn to somebody and say, you used to be a scallywag, I remember. But is it working? I said, is it working? Are you dialed in? Are you tuned in? continuing to allow that force to work in your life. And I believe what Scripture says, he who began to go work in you will do what? He's going to complete it. Do you believe that today? Say, I'm born again, and I've been made righteous. How can you be holy? Number three is consecration. This is where you make a daily commitment to devote irrevocably your your worship of God. You 
your members, your thoughts, every part of you to him. And uh, nobody can do this for you. Uh, you'll, you'll notice that uh, the priests were consecrated before they were anointed. Amen. And so what you and I do is we make the decision that we're going to consecrate ourselves or devote ourselves for a purpose, a separation that is, that is solemn, that is important. To consecrate your mind. Say, my mind. Nobody can do that for you. I mean, your, your mind will wander into things that has no business wandering into. Who's going to consecrate it? You have to. You consecrate that mind. You consecrate your will. Consecrate your emotions. I tell you, it is, it is the little darling of the church that uh, we just, if we want to feel something, we just let ourselves feel it and let ourselves respond to it and let our, our feelings and our emotions dictate what we do. No, you need to consecrate those emotions. Your emotions will not lead you into the things of God any given day. Make sure you say, no, you're not going to control me anymore. I consecrate my emotions. Say, I consecrate my will. Do you know that your will from now on is not an important thing? What are you supposed to do with your will? Submit it to Him. Well, you know, it's just for Jesus and preachers. No, it's for you. Submit your will to Him. Consecrate it to Him. Uh, here's an easy one. Consecrate your mouth. <laughs> Anybody need the mouth to be consecrated? Who's going to do it for you? No one's going to do it for you unless you make up your mind every single day. I am going to consecrate my mouth. And that's wonderful if uh, if you stop cussing after a lifestyle. That's one. How many of y'all cuss less as a Christian? Humor me. A few of you are not raising your hands. I am very concerned right now that, that you're still cussing. <laughs> when I'm cussing Christians. That's great. Uh, but you also should not be gossiping and slandering and repeating things that you don't know to be true. And if they are true, you shouldn't repeat them anyway because Christians don't pass on things even if they're true and destructive. Let no unwholesome communication come out of your mouth. Uh, my translation of that, for those that were in this church a long time, build up or shut up. Shout out me. Build up or shut up. That's easy enough to remember, isn't it? <laughs> consecrated mouth. How about consecrated eyes? Be careful. Little eyes what you see. How about consecrating your ears? Who's going to do this? This is where you and I partner with the forces of the born-again spirit-like righteousness. We begin to cut ourselves off of things that we know are contradicting the Word of God. So let's say I'm not cussing. Say I'm not cussing. Not a gossiping. Not slandering. Not tail-bearing. But you speak in contradiction to the Word of God. Your mouth is not consecrated. A mouth cannot contradict the truth and call itself consecrated. So our job is to know what the Word says and say, even if we don't feel like it. You may be, you may feel like you just got run over physically, but out of your mouth you should say, by His stripes, I am what? I mean, that is not the sound of a liar. That's the sound of a consecrated mouth. And if somebody can't understand that, it's not your job to convince them. But you're going to have to make sure you do that. Now, man, you may have a, a you know a drawer full of bills, and you don't have two nickels to rub together. 
And everybody's pounding on your door and calling your phone. You're about to, you're about to turn off your cell phone service. But out of your mouth, you come what? My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's a consecrated mouth. Oh, could I go off on that particular point? 15 part series on the consecrated mouth. You got one excited about that, amen? The rest of you are like, oh dear God, bless you. let me know when it's over. So the consecrated mouth, consecrated eyes, consecrated ears, consecrated feet. There are some places your feet just shouldn't go. And whose job is it to make sure that the mind and the will and the emotions, the mouth and the ears, the eyes and the feet go where they should go and stay where they shouldn't go. Stay away from things they should stay away from. The idea is your job and my job. So we're born again and we've been given righteousness, but we also have the benefit every day of consecrating ourselves. And here's a tip. Do it every day before you ever step out of the house. Reconsecrate your body, your life, your mind, your will, your emotions, your mouth, your ears, your eyes, your feet, you know, your heart, your devotion, do it every single day. What's going to happen is that day you're going to live a more holy life. It's going to be pleasing to the Lord. Amen. Real quickly tonight, number four, the Word of God. It should always be in the Word of God because it lays a foundation for separation from sin and separation unto God. You've been taught this, that the Word of God itself is a sanctifying force. Jesus prayed, sanctify them by thy truth. Your Word is truth. And I can't give you all the mechanisms of God. Maybe God will sit us all down in heaven and explain how these things actually work mechanically. I don't know. All I do know is that the Christian who spends time in this book every single day automatically lives a more holy life. Do you get that today? If you want to live a more holy life, stay in the Word. I don't mean preaching just so you can preach and teach to somebody else. That's a mistake. This is about your own consecration, about your own holiness. I remember Brother Copeland talking about being completely and totally burnt out and preaching here and running all over the world. And it got himself to a place where his back was hurting and felt sick and run down. And that's what the Lord told him. He says, you know what? The only time you study the Word anymore is so you can get something to preach to somebody else. You need to be in the Word for yourself. How's that for transparent? Does that make sense? So those of you who call them different ministry, keep that in mind. It's not just to find the next message. It's spending time in that word sets you up to live a holy life. Because if you're not living in a holy life, you got nothing to preach to anybody. My One of my uh, uh, friends in the faith and looked up to him, uh, when I was in graduate school, he taught us, uh, you know, homiletics, you know, the art of putting messages together, gospel messages, the word, and then hermeneutics, the science and the art of interpreting correctly the scriptures. Really, really real sharp guy, uh, you know, Harvard graduate, that kind of thing. And, um, you know, he would, he would apply this principle in, in such a way that, you know, we would understand ourselves that if you yourself are in the word of God, you know, not just trying to get something up to preach. But you yourself are in the Word of God. It's first going to transform you. And it can't transform anybody else until it first transforms you. Uh, Brother Coleman said it like this. God gets on to me. <laughs> and then I get on to you. Does that make sense? 
And how many of you have ever had that experience before? Yes. Should God still be correcting us? Yes. I said, should God still be yes. correcting us? Yes. yes. Amen. Aren't you glad that the Word of God works? Yes. Nothing mystical yes. about it. It's supernatural. Don't think about it some kind of mysticism or magic. It is supernatural, but it's the Word of God. The Christian, and I don't read 15 chapters a day. I'm not talking about that. A good rule of thumb is to read a Psalm, a proverb, something in the New Testament, something in the Old Testament every single day. Break it up however you want to do it. But make sure you're doing this because you're automatically going to predispose yourself to making right choices, keeping your mouth right, looking at the right things, listening to the right things. It'll automatically bring in holiness into your life. See, I'm a word person, not just so I can talk to somebody else. Amen. Praise the Lord. Look at somebody and say, I see you're getting holier by the second. Bless God. You are just starting to glow and shine. <laughs> if you're really serious about holiness, um, you're, you're not going to really grow unless you spend time in the Word of God. I know you hear from us as leaders in this church, the Word, the Word, the Word, the Word. There's a reason for that. You and I have been blessed. Yes. You know, people in the New Testament period, they, they listened to the apostles and they listened to Jesus when, of course, he was on the earth physically. You and I have encapsulated for us the preserved will and word of God. And still Christians today would just neglect it habitually. Number four, the Spirit of God. Number five, really, huh? Who's counting? <laughs> Say the Spirit of God. When it comes to holiness, he works in real time to call balls and strikes. Fair and out of bounds. Now, this requires really two things. Write this down. Number one, that you have cultivated enough sensitivity to the Spirit to actually hear his voice when he's telling you something is wrong. Um, and he will if you listen. Anybody here ever got really upset you started to open up your mouth and you clearly heard the Holy Ghost say, shut up you. <laughs> but, but you ignored his kind, sweet voice. And then you did damage. And like a, an arrow that was spent, you couldn't reel it back in again. Because you went ahead and didn't listen. So it requires you have the capacity to say, I have the mind of Christ. And if you're born again in spirit field, you have everything you need. And he will tell you. It doesn't make any difference what it is. If you're, if you're heading down a path that's going to compromise your holiness, he will always be faithful to talk to you. If you're not hearing anything, it's not because he's not talking. So it requires the ability to discern and hear what he is saying. And number two, it requires the commitment to do what he tells you to do. Listen. The world's not going to be worse off if you don't express every opinion you have. <laughs> that should be a disclaimer on top of every Facebook page. Just because you have an opinion doesn't mean we need to hear it. And opinions now on Facebook and social media have moved over into the outright slander and libel with no accountability. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? So... Maybe you've had this experience where you are going to let them have it with this email. 
you're eloquently writing, and you're just about to send. And the Holy Ghost says, hit the delete button. I can see that some of you are experts in deleting. It'd be the same thing with a, with a Facebook post. Should you listen to him? The world's not going to end because you deleted that Facebook post. Now, it's great if after the fact you delete the Facebook post. It's better if you heard the Holy Ghost to delete it in advance before it got posted. And it's getting awful quiet in this Presbyterian church tonight. <laughs> Durst thou need a message on social media? Durst thou? No. <laughs> Say it. I have to be able to hear him and I have to commit to do what he says. I found out that this principle is absolutely true. He will always not just prompt you to not do things, he'll prompt you to do things. It's the same working of the Holy Spirit. You and I have to respond when he tells us to call somebody, write somebody, encourage somebody, give somebody something, bless somebody. It's the same Holy Ghost. But when it comes to holiness, he is always on the active ready. You and I have to suppress his voice not to walk in holiness in a given day. Let me say it again. Over to this side. Because I heard some groans over here. I want to see if I can get the same reaction over here. You have to suppress the voice of the Holy Ghost not to live holy a given day. You're a believer. That world out there does it naturally. You and I have to override not just the righteousness of God, but the voice of the Holy Ghost and the entirety of the Word of God that's guiding us into righteousness and holy living. Amen. That's number six. Temptation. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it alone. <laughs> all I can say is, as a church, you guys crack me up. That's all I can say. You just crack me up. I'll just stay in stitches. Praise the Lord. This is number six, the body of Christ. Iron sharpeneth iron. Amen. A bad company. Corrupts good character. If you have a brother or sister in this church or in the body of Christ somewhere who will call you out on your stupidity, you're a blessed person. May you have the guts to listen and not get offended. You're blessed. God help us when we have no one who will tell us what we're about to do or say is wrong. And today, lots of people don't want to do that in the body of Christ because people do, you know, rear up at them and do get offended and they do cancel them. A wise person will listen. All right. I know you got the word. I know you got righteousness. I know the Holy Ghost is in your life, but for some reason you're not listening to the plain teachings of scripture. What you're doing here is not scriptural. You're a blessed person. That's right. Amen. Amen. Say, I'm blessed. If I have somebody in my life, they'll tell me like it is. When I was in college, you know, that person for many of us was Mark Randall, and that's exactly what he would do. And over the years, some people decided they like to be offended and be jaded about the things that he actually said. He lived a, a very high standard himself, and he expected his students to live a very high standard as well. Guess what? Those of us who listened to him benefited by it. But you have to listen to good counsel, not get offended by it. Are you here today? Say, I'm a listener. Turn to somebody and say, give me all you got. I can take it, I can take it, I can take it. Please, Lord. <clears throat> the reality is, is few people can take it 
And few Christians will dish it out anymore for fear of being labeled judgmental. And they, the church hurt me and traumatized me. No, they were just doing their job. Could you imagine if Paul lived today and he showed up Sunday morning, looks at the whole apartment and says, shall I come at you with a whip? Yeah. Or he visits the first church of Galatia down the street in Murray and says, I tell you what, we're just going to go all the way just to emasculate you guys today. Could you imagine the calls to the counselors? Could you believe that preacher said that? Oh, I'm so traumatized. Oh, I'm so hurt. You could play that game or you can just say, you know what? What's he trying to say? Paul was trying to say to the Corinthians, straighten up and fly right. Yes. You can either make the change or grow deeper into yourself, but that will not produce holiness in your life. Amen. Turn to somebody and tell them, if you don't move around, he'll never know it's you. Just be still and know that God is the Lord. Amen. Number seven, temptation. You know from 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation is overtaken. You accept what is common to man. God is faithful. Say he's faithful. He will, with that temptation, provide a way of escape so you can endure up under it. You, am I in a room of believers today? You believe the Bible? Do you believe these scriptures? Say, I'm a believer. If there's a temptation to come out of holiness, and that's what we're talking about, we don't believe you're living in sin as a Christian. Does that make sense? We believe you're living in holiness and the devil's job is trying to pull you out. If you're tempted, there will always be a way for you to escape that temptation. How often? 100% of the time. That's what scripture says. You can't say, well, I was looking for the way. God never gave it. That's not being honest. If you're being tempted, guess what? There's always a way. Shout it out. There's always away. You can see how Christians who like to rationalize can try to rationalize this stuff away. I looked for the temptation out, but it never came. I was trying to hear the Holy Ghost, and He never spoke. Couldn't remember what that scripture was, and I have nobody who talked to me plainly. Yeah, because you probably got offended at all of them. Moving right along. Amen. And there's something that will always keep you on the right path in terms of holiness. Your confident trust and hope and belief in the Lord's imminent and soon return. Amen. Listen to this from 1 John chapter 3. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not uh, appeared as yet what we will be, but we know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies Himself, yes. just as He is pure. Why is there an apparent, and I'm not talking specifically to a local church like Hope Harbor, I'm talking about Capital C, the big church across the country, around the world. Why are we seeing a holiness issue? Because people are not expecting His return like they used to. If you really believe He could come in the watches of the night, you're not going to spend your night tonight in sin. No way, Jose. With bells on, you're going to listen to these principles, apply these to your life, and you're going to live a holy life. But the point is, a lot of people don't believe. Time's gone by. People said he's coming here, he's coming there. But the point is, the apostles who literally saw him leave this earth, and it was prophesied to them as you see him leaving, as he, you know, he will come again. They expected him when? 
by dinner time. They expected him at any time. And guess what? One of these nights, one of these days, your expectation is going to become reality. And the more you expect his return, the holier you're going to live. When you don't live that way, it's partly because you don't have that expectation. Now, I'm not talking about fear. We're talking about reverence and awe for God. Aren't you here? So the Lord's put on my heart for Christmas this year. And, uh, of course, we'll be celebrating what God's doing on the campus of Murray State. And uh, our kids will be ministering the second Sunday. On the third and fifth Sundays, um, I'm going to be talking about celebrating the Savior's coming. And then at the end of the month, we're going to be celebrating the Savior's coming again. Yes. And we're going to go into this new year expectant. Wouldn't that be wonderful if it was 2024? Timothy asked me if I was going to predict when Jesus is coming back. No, I'm not predicting when Jesus is coming back. <laughs> uh, plenty of people have done that. We don't know. No man knows what. But you can tell the season. And even when we don't know, we know that we're there. And the more we believe that, the more we expect it, the more holy we're going to live. So you can see... God has done supernatural things to help us live holy, but we have to cooperate or partner with what He has given us. If the Holy Ghost is trying to warn me, I need to listen to Him. If the Word of God set me up for a foundation a certain day to live a certain way, I need to be in cooperation with that. If somehow I sidestep the Scripture and I sidestep the voice of the Holy Ghost and I'm not listening to the force of righteousness and a brother or sister in love says, I hate to say anything, I've been reluctant to and I haven't said anything for months or even years, but I must say something, have the guts to listen to what they have to say. I promise you this, they're not running around looking for people to correct. They are probably doing this as the last thing on earth they want to do. And if more Christians understood that, they'd receive that counsel from each other instead of being offended by it. Can I have a better amen than that? Amen. I'm telling you that nobody, even spiritual leaders, like to go around telling people something they don't want to tell them in the natural. No one likes it. Occasionally, some goofball will like correction and we'll just release them and let them go. But if somebody has the guts to talk to you because somehow you're missing some signals, you're blessed. Yes. That can be the very thing that keeps you out of the ditch. That's it. God hasn't called you into a spiritual ditch. He's called you to victory and peace. Amen. Say it, I'm more than a conqueror. And that includes holiness. Are you here today? So I want to um, just pause. And uh, when we come back, what we're going to do is talk about what benefits there are when you live a holy life and they're outstanding. And we'll get into detail on this one. But let me leave you with this thought tonight. The greatest benefit to holy living is you inherit the kingdom of God. You're going to make it. Come on, say it. I'm going to make it. I'm going to be there when the roll is called up yonder. One man of God said, don't worry about being called on the roll when it's up yonder because you aren't here when the roll's called here. <laughs> There's a lot of wisdom there. You're not even here when the world is called. Forget that roll up there. But say, I'm going to make it. Holiness. Be holy, he said, for I am holy. Without holiness, no man, no one will see the Lord. Can you receive this? Yes. What's holiness going to do in your life? 
is going to make sure that you're with Him. Amen. Praise God. Um, there are a lot of folks today that uh, you know that need this exhortation and need this encouragement. First job for us is to apply these things to our hearts and our own lives. Amen. This is not to make us judges and critics of people, but to soberly you know, look in the mirror and say, you know what? Um, I could be further down the road than I am. How many can raise your hands tonight? You could be further down the road than you are. Amen. My brother-in-law, Ben Priest, pastor of River God Church and founder with Tammy of Tribe of Judah Motorcycle Ministries all over the world. He always says, my greatest room is my room for improvement. And that's okay as long as you're doing what? You're improving. And say it, I am. I'm a work in progress. But I'm what? I'm progressing. Make sure you're progressing. <laughs> Give the Lord a hand clap and thank Him tonight.